Hello, everyone, and welcome to Turned Out of Punk, uh, a sad one here. We're going to be uh, celebrating the work of the late, great Gord Lewis. Um, by now, I'm sure most of you know, Gord Lewis passed away under horrific, tragic circumstances. And I think, uh, you know, I speak for myself and my co-host, as always, Chris O'Toole, when I say that I think we're going to avoid getting into too much of the actual what happened horrible criminality case stuff and just kind of talk about Gord in, in a tribute sense and talk about his music. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but Chris, uh, you, you are a teenage head fan. I know because we have talked about this band many, many times, I think commonly re referred to by people as sort of, you know, in short form as being Canada's Ramones, but I think there's significance to Canadian music as we're going to talk about runs a little bit deeper even than maybe the Ramones do. But anyway, that, that is debatable. And we'll get into that in a second. I don't mean, in, I mean to Canada and Canadian music, but we'll get into that in a second. Uh, when was your first exposure to teenage head, Chris? Ooh, that's a good, I had, you know, what's funny, even leading into this, I hadn't thought about that. Um, the early, so the area I'm from, as you've known, uh, there's a, there was a group called sick boys, mm -hmm. um, who were, primarily active in i don't know if they actually started in the late 80s or it was just early 90s but either way um they were the pervasive local punk band uh in my youth um and i subsequently have come to know them but uh anyway the the singer of that group uh modeled his sort of <clears throat> not persona is the wrong word but the uh you know the, the kind of general vibe off of uh frankie venom so I started hearing tell of them through that. And I think probably, and then of course, Star Records uh, was also infamously in my area for many, many years. And I remember seeing like, I'm going to guess Frantic City is probably the first record I saw, although the first LP is pretty iconic looking too. So I can't remember which I saw first, but, um, but yeah, probably would be Frantic City because that whole like the jumping, uh, you know, live shot is kind of burned in my memory. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my first exposure was kind of hearing about their influence on the sick boys. And then of course, like getting more into like, you know, original punk, whatever. And then therefore, yeah. And then of course, like the Canadiana part of it, uh, obviously is the icing on the cake, but yeah, that was probably my first exposure I, sometime in the early nineties. I think for me, it would have been let's shake being, cause let's shake was a hit and for sure. Yep. And that would still get kind of played on, and to this day, it was played on just normal rock radio. It feels like I'm 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 striking gold every time it comes on the car when we're driving around because yeah, it is such a great song. And you know, growing up with that was certainly a part of it. Or watching Class of 1984 on late great movies on City TV, <laughs> and yep. and seeing uh, Teenage Head perform in that. I, I think they are the band that, as I said, you know, like they kind of broke in and, and used to gig with like Rush and that era of bands. And I think, you know, BTO, um, uh, I think you'd, you'd have to put on that list. But and I think you put Rush, I think Neil Young, it's debatable how Canadian, I guess, his records were. But like, you know, you would put on that list uh, and then Tragically Hip, of course. And but like, you know, I, I put. Right after that, I put Teenage Head in terms of like significance for Canadian rock music. Yeah, I've um, 
I think a lot of the people you're mentioning would probably shout them out as well. Like a lot of those luminaries, maybe not like Neil Young necessarily, but like maybe the Rush Camp or um, any of that kind of stuff, stuff that's actually like, despite its popularity, truly somehow remains regional in a way. Yeah, I Um, I know the Tragically Hit for a fact, like were influenced by them. They were a huge band for them. Yes, and I think... That's one of the many virtues of that group who admittedly I'm not the great like tragedy hip. I'm not like a huge fan of the hip, but I think they're fine. Like, uh, but the one really not one multiple things, but the one thing I always cite is they are very good at, you know, kind of giving kudos to the, to the acts that I think, you know, and, and I think obviously like teenage head being one. Um, but yeah, I would agree. It's funny. You mentioned let's shake. I probably heard it on rock radio, but I probably didn't know what it was. Um, back when, now that you say that, but it is funny because in, my, in recent years, uh, a lot of rock radio, I'm exposed to a lot of rock radio, um, somewhat against my will at, at the work and it does get played quite often. Um, yeah. and like you, it's like one of those, like, oh yeah, like it's like a, a moment of reprieve amongst all of the often terrible, uh, music, but yeah, you're right. It, it's still in heavy rotation. Um, but yeah, it, it's, uh, I know, I don't, th- I, it's funny because I remember that as soon as you say it, but I always forget how much of a radio hit that is here anyway. Yeah. And they're, they're like, they are one of those bands that never got bad. You know, there's certainly records that I think for myself, I enjoy more than others. Mm-hmm. There's not a bad record. And I would actually argue that Head Disorder, their last album that they came out, like sort of the last I think studio. No, they did the Marky Ramone stuff after that, but yeah, yeah, it, yeah. One of the last records that they did uh, has some of their best songs on it and holds up against a lot of those sort of '90s Canadian punk records. Yeah, I, I just think like as a group, like so as a group, one that it was representative of Hamilton. I, you know, I know there are other groups that have come from Hamilton, and some very notable. Uh, there is to me no greater group that is representational of that city first of all in my view yeah um as much as and i at a, at a very close second like forgotten rebels for me but um i've just yeah i i just there's no way avoiding that i think um for then that's a compliment um but yeah i just think like because what the, i always mess up song titles right but teenage head is a song title on the flaming groovies lp right yeah, well, it's the name of an album, too. A name of an album as well, sorry. Okay. But yeah, so that's... I, I always put those two in, in my mind. Now I categorize them in the same way. And and I just feel like in that same seminal way people like talk about Flame, Flame and Groovies or whatever is perhaps proto-punk or whatever the hell you want to say. Like, Teenage Head is that in my mind in the Canadiana sense. I don't know if I'd say even proto-punk. I just think they're a punk band. But, um, <coughs> excuse me. But they were still like that documentary which do you remember the name of that documentary by the way I should yeah have looked it up ahead of time. I, I think i have it down here in one of my notes uh no uh fun comes fast no no that's the name of the the compilation so I'm just yeah looking. we 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 can sh- i'll look at it in a second but um my point in mentioning that is we had discussed this around the time when that was released um how the generations of differences in bands and how their generation like a lot of other bands in different countries even, 
we're still kind of like going for it in a mm -hmm. very genuine sense. And so I think the only thing that tends to differentiate for people, um, or at least perception-wise, in hindsight, like what Teenage Up represented, uh, the people that aren't, say, exposed to like the region we live, the, the large radius region we, we live, like they don't, I don't think they put them in, or didn't for many years put them in as great a category as you would like your, you know, even your Forgotten Rebels or something because there's a radio hit and there's other things. But I think it's just a differentiation of like, that was the era where the, as a rock group or punk group, whatever, you were still kind of going for it because that was the only avenue to pursue it. You know, like the idea of like DIY existed, of course, in some semblance, but it wasn't, you know, there were no, uh, maybe not no, but very little to no avenues to explore in the manner that would come later, right? With the, the advent, arguably, of American hardcore or whatever. But so this idea of like a band like that being in the image, and their influences, of course, are much more, you know, your typical kind of influences of the era too, which were not, you know, uh, they were like large things. Like maybe their aspiration might not have been to be a stadium band, but it was certainly to be a large group. And I think in a way for our generation, anyway, at first for me, I can say, it did a bit of a disservice that I didn't quite grasp in the same way I didn't grasp like, you know, the brilliance of early Bowie when I was young enough or something. Um, that idea of like how, how pivotal they were and how vital they were uh, and are. So yeah, I don't I don't know where I was going with that or why I trailed off on that, but yeah. Well, they kind of they they start in like seventy, yeah, you know seventy four. I guess the the inception of the band happens. The first gigs in seventy five, yeah, um, famously five months before the first Sex Pistols show. Frankie Venom was on drums for that, who would later become the lead singer. Yeah, uh, and Dave Rave was the original vocalist of the band, who would also come back later on in the band, like. They were a band that unfortunately seems to have had, well, obviously, present day especially, like a lot of tragedy. But uh, even early on, there were a lot of unfortunate things, you know, from the fact that they, you know, wind up putting out an LP, wind up signing to a major label. But that record doesn't come out till like 78, even though they were going so much earlier, you know, 77, that record could have come out. Um, but it took a long time to get that record out. A lot of people felt it wasn't recorded properly. And then... Later on, when they have this huge hit with Let's Shake, uh, they go down to New York to play some showcases, and then I believe Frankie Venom gets into a, a really bad car accident. Mm -hmm. uh, no, Luke, sorry, Gore was in a, a really bad car accident. And yeah, had, so, someone, I can't remember who, but yeah, yep. Yeah, they had to cancel quite a few shows <clears throat> after that. And then, you know, like later on, there was like something else where Dave Rave comes back, I think, for a while, too. Um, so they, they, they had the sort of like constant thing of being, you know, not quite at the right time for things to kind of click for them, uh, to go to the sort of the next level or whatever that would have been, but all their records, you know, they kept going, you know, right up until, you know, they did records on uh fringe even later on who would put out, you know, Dead Kennedy's records up here and a bunch of fucking goofs records up here too. So there was this sort of like commitment to the sound that they had, which I feel like, like you're saying, it's not like vile tones in its uh, delivery. It's much closer to like, yeah, flaming groovies or, you know, even the Ramones, I guess it's a little, it's slower than the Ramones, but there's just something about it. Like, I just think they had such a, and especially his guitar playing Gord's guitar playing. I just, 
yeah, just he is, you know, doing something completely new for rock and roll with his band. Yeah, I, I think um, as far as his sort of reputation as well, um, speaking just from people I've encountered over the years, like he was a pretty like, well, certainly an approachable guy. And like, I guess he would perform pretty frequently, like just at mm-hmm. like small clubs or whatever, yeah. either accompanying groups or, you know, I, I can only imagine when covers would happen of Teenage Head or whatever, he would do that too. But I have a number of musician friends, or we have a collective number, I'm sure. And across the board, consistently, all of them, not only did they praise his ability, which is kind of obvious, but they all, you know, that's why kind of, you know, it's been sort of a really bizarre few days. Like, it's kind of been a shock because he was a very, very well-liked, like, person amongst town and, and like, had, had performed with a lot of people. And people like generationally that were apart from him completely mm. that he would still give the time of day to. So that's the one thing like whenever, you know, a legacy is approached, that's the one thing I always sort of look at. And the impact is very, very clear apart from his involvement with that group. He was, you know, he very much was like a guy that still was doing it in some way and was also very, uh, uh, well, inspirational, obviously, but very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Encouraging to other people who were still doing it. And to me, that speaks volumes. Yeah, like I got to meet him a couple times over the years. And in every every interaction, I found him, he, he was he was very shy in, in yeah. my sort of time talking to him. But yeah, incredibly approachable. And someone who even with teenage head teenage head played the like the shitty bar up the street from my house when i was a kid mm-hmm. you know and we were too young to go but we went out and watched them through the window for a little bit um and, you know like they were a band that that was a working rock band and commit committed to their sound in a way that it's admirable to see bands that are like that. And I think that was the thing is he was just happy that people got it and celebrated it. And they are a band that all over the world there are fans of and, and collectors of, and I just feel, I don't, I don't think they ever did get to go to Europe, but you know, it would have been amazing if they kind of did have that other revival. Of course, Frankie Venom, the lead singer of the band uh, passed away in 2008. So you know, but that didn't. But they never did really did get that revival of, you know, appreciation. I think that's a that's something that's a problem with can, Canadian music industry stuff is that there's no canonization for a lot of stuff, and they're a band that deserved that. Yeah, and I, I think the documentary is nice that it exists, and it was, but it kind of also exposes that fact as well of that. They're like a, you know, in many ways, a national treasure that was not really <laughs> treasured enough or isn't treasured enough. Perhaps mm. that will change, hopefully. But I think they're treasured in the punk scene they, for people that really know records and whatnot. But, um, but yeah, it's definitely like, you know, speaking for myself anyway, there definitely felt like a generational divide when I started getting into this stuff. So it was harder to parse exactly their level of importance or what have you. Which again, I, I eventually got to, but um, I think it's just yeah, it's bizarre how you know it's yeah. You're you're all right. It is a kind of a uniquely Canadian thing for some strange reason um, because it's so, sort of a consistent uh, criticism. I think when we always unearth this kind of stuff. 
Yeah, they went down to New York and and did play some shows. And I think there was the seven, the first seven inch did have a German pressing, which is still one of my most sought after records. Um, But apart from that, I don't know how much exposure they had in terms of like touring out. Like, I don't think they ever went out to L.A. um, and did stuff. They're, yeah, like a real Canadian band. Uh, It's weird because I'd also put DOA in the same sort of category of a band that's underappreciated, certainly here. Yep. um, By by how important they are internationally. Yeah, I mean, every country obviously has, to a certain degree, I can only imagine, like their first wave or early wave bands that are still kind of doing it. And certainly, you know, those two you mentioned, like DOA and Teenage Head, were like, I had an opportunity to see Teenage Head, which I never saw really, at least that I can even remember in passing, maybe. But I remember there being gigs in the early 90s that I could have gone to that were, they were performing. But you are right. It's, it's a, there's a weird, like we have a lot of like groups that are like full of journey, you know, journey people or whatever that are like really do it for real and are also kind of, distinctly working class in a way i think a lot of other places aren't for some reason uh not that can like that's like a, something that canada has over else other places but uh you know hamilton where they're from is very working class and and i think that they perhaps are you know very representative of that as well perhaps that's part of the why you know it never you know there were certain opportunities they didn't get because they were you know they had uh, didn't have always have the greatest luck and they had tragedy this that but apart from that like you're saying like even i hadn't realized they hadn't really toured as much like just that thought is kind of bizarre to me because it's such a i would have assumed they would have done all those things yeah like i i think well i don't think the demics did too much touring either you know and then or the diodes i think that's the thing about canadian bands is a lot of them didn't get out and a lot of them kind of i think tried to go across canada I'd be fascinated to kind of hear more about these bands touring histories and yeah uh you know because once again i just don't know how much of a market there would have been for well yeah and we're, for, we're forgetting too that again back to the the idea of like the circuit the touring circuit like it wasn't really established in the way that it, it later became until do although yeah more or less and then they you know a lot of these groups by that time, it's not that they were done, but they were definitely like I think done pursuing it. If I had to guess, in like a really serious way, to the extent that you know, had they started in like the mid '80s, it would have maybe been a different story. But I think a lot of the '70s groups, and also by that time, I can only imagine some of the luster of like not being able to make it in the way they perhaps envisioned when they started the group. Also, maybe change that. Mm-hmm. So just playing regionally, I think was probably more what they just wanted to do because it was probably just more fun wasn't like a careerist idea not to mention that of course you're as you know playing in a band as i have known like you know it's a tricky thing there's a lot of sacrifice involved with touring especially if you're not you know guaranteed to make money and i think that a lot of those groups you know i don't know how much money they made off record contracts but i know record contracts from major labels aren't you know notoriously not typically generous if you don't you know have a smash hit or something right so yeah like i think on on the bare naked ladies episode um you know uh it's it's kind of made clear that even even till that era 
you were still waiting for your record label to give you permission to kind of go on tour in America because so much of it was trying to get an American deal, which was so hard to come by for these Canadian artists that, and even when you did get it, like it didn't seem to necessarily help because there are some cultural divides. Like that's why I think bands like Alex on fire, um, you know, career suicide, propaganda, fucked up. I'd even say in this category as well, even DBS, you know, that bands that went out and just kind of were like, well, let's just do our own thing and go into America. And like some bands like Crew Suicide had toured Japan in Europe by the time they finally played more shows in Canada. Yeah, I think there's probably, yeah, I, I agree in all those with all those groups for sure. And I think, you know, there's, that's always like the, the invisible wall or whatever of even just the, the U S to a lot of groups. And again, especially in a pre DIY sort of context or, or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's always been a thing. It's a thing you could throw Sloan in that category too, where they also You're right. get it. But I think yeah. they're, they're another group that like, you know, should be even bigger there. And that's not a slight at them. I think they're an incredible band. I think it's just circumstantially, it's very odd to, to kind of try to quote unquote break uh, in the States for some strange reason. I don't, and especially because there's a lot of people that, like know these groups that we're that we're referencing, be it the ones you just mentioned, or even like TH Head, they know them. But it just, you know, it never somehow resonated or doesn't resonate in a certain way. Yeah, I, I, it's a weird. I mean, I think that's a reoccurring uh, theme when we speak about this stuff. It always kind of comes up that weird, either lack of touring or lack of exposure or lack of you know whatever opportunity. That's perhaps been the issue with some of the um lack of financial gain anyway with some of these groups but i think ultimately in teenage heads case i think the one thing that they have more than most of the others anyway uh is that their legacy is intact irregardless of any of those factors well and they did have a u.s deal at different times because they had to change their name at some point to teenage heads Uh Um, and i know i think it's just the u.s pressing that has that on i know certainly tornado their teenage heads uh but actually like i'm looking at my tape of it now and it, it's teenage heads on that and on the lp it's teenage heads so yeah i don't i don't really know where that came from but i know they definitely did have a us deal at a certain point but in terms of like type touring i don't know what circuit they would have been on too like that's the other thing there wasn't necessarily you know a circuit they kind of fit on i think they would have been sick if they had somehow found a way into sort of like the man's ruin sympathy for the record industry type world. Cause I think they would have kind of found, you know, kindred spirits a little bit. Well, yeah. It, and it's, there were, you know, groups that are perhaps, you know, not as old or whatever, but that they could have fit in with. I mean, like I could definitely have seen them touring at the cramps and it going well. Yeah. Um, or like, I don't know. And, and, and like that kind of a, a vibe i think even some of the later um yeah just it's it's weird i think they would have fit in but you were right they were i think it's back to a generational thing i'm guessing as well where it's that you know because they're to me they're like it, you could argue it's first wave or not to me it's kind of like first wave or whatever like in the sense of like the first like realization of you know punk as something to aspire to in some way but also more primarily informed by 
you know, quote unquote, the classic rock music prior and lar largely, which was, you know, uh, glam revival or whatever you want to say. Mm -hmm. And I think that that changes, even in the documentary, like, again, I remember talking with you and your brother about this, where it's just funny seeing the different perceptions, like the aspiration as to like, like trying to achieve certain aspiration based on those, uh, those goals and how different it was for groups like in that 70s mid 70s period as opposed to like 10 years later because not only did it just kind of like crumble but it became a different sonic to a degree as well largely but it was more just yeah just the whole ethos just kind of changes because you don't have this like this sort of like the, the idea 10 years later is almost like or even less than 10 years later is like no destroy rock and roll hero people don't try to become them you know what i mean at least that's the the pitch whether or not that was the actual reality um but yeah anyway whatever teenage head's great <laughs> i don't know uh keep going existential with it i don't mean to but yeah no no i i, I get it because i think they're a band that like yeah like it is hard to kind of like parse the significance i um, think like imagine they moved to new york right like in that 70 like when they went to play and they just stayed you know what i mean how much different it could have been you know in terms of exposure or whatever like like even when you look at like something like um like the dead boys like it's like could it have been that i mean there's obviously sonic differences but could they have had a bit more reverence in the in the same like i just feel like all these punk books don't include them a lot when that period is kind of parsed and I can't tell if that's a, like a Canadian thing or whatever, or if it's just like they just weren't in the mix of what was being documented in certain degrees. Yeah, like I think that's I think that's it. Like I just think they were they did go down and do a couple shows at CBGBs and famously did incredibly well there. Uh, I think the vile tones and the cessationalism of it, you know, like have you seen that yeah. CBC footage where it's teenage head the poles. Yeah, and yeah, the vile tones. Yep, yeah, amazing. The the teenage head comes off like, yeah, we're just a loud rock and roll band, you know. Yeah. Whereas Frankie Venom's talking about, or sorry, not Frankie Venom, sorry, uh, uh, Dog is talking about carrying around a screwdriver so he can stab yep. people, and yep. you know, like your your attention immediately goes to that, and I think that was the thing teenage head suffered from is that they were just like a great rock and roll punk band with not a lot of gimmicks and that's why i think they never got bad because they you know they didn't burn out a gimmick they just kept going in their own direction with the sound yeah i would agree i i i think that reference is a good one too because i think that actually illustrates i don't know what the difference in age actually between say gord and that crew is between steve leckie and whatever that crew was but i can only imagine it's you know five to ten years if i had to guess and i think it shows the difference in that you know period like like how much more wild it got perhaps yeah. too wild you know what i mean it's like whereas like they're they're both influenced large because i can only imagine that teenage head or at least some semblance of that collective probably listened to the stooges i don't think they sound like the stooges but probably listened to the stooges like all people of that era did that made cool bands but you can tell that like the vile tones or you know you could tell that iggy pop was a big influence on the vile tones 
I less so to teenage head, but equally, you know, important, right. Yeah. As an, just like a weird, uh, maybe not important analogy to make or whatever. Yeah, no, I think they, uh, they just, you know, like, like you're saying, like there were the, this wave of bands that formed to be punk bands. And there were bands that were kind of like the wave earlier that were just outsider rock bands that became part of punk because that was the only place they could fit in and end up making punk because that was the only place they could fit in. Um, and, you know, I think that's the general, that's the thing, the, the, the bands that were kind of the wild bands, you know, like the Gigi Allens and the, the Nazi dogs of the world are the ones that people tend to kind of like, go to to kind of talk about because it is so you know i don't know intoxicating the the level of ignorance with what these people are doing but whereas you know just having a band that's writing great rock and roll songs or great songs period doesn't always sell as well yeah and i think again we're dealing with canada which makes it a little trickier so you have a little bit of that you know as everything we've discussed a weird hang up about you know what is popular here because th there's the famous footage in that documentary of them playing what is the event the like is some it, huge event is it the riot that they end up causing at ontario place yeah it might have been that i can't remember but it's it's it was like kind of if i remember i haven't watched the documentary in a few years but it uh you know it like kind of like the, the sort of uh, climax sort of, of their trajectory, at least presented in the documentary, is that concert. And then the idea is that they don't capitalize on further huge events and whatnot in the wake of tragedy and different things. Um, but yeah, I, I think, yeah, I don't know. I just think it's, I think there are some groups that are like, it's, it's not quite, you know, a, a very popular topic for you. Like, the dogs, let's say. It's not mm -hmm. quite that scenario, but it's more that scenario than not, if you know what I'm saying. Like, like yeah, they get, they get their dues and they have a lot longer of a career and they're well-respected and they're legendary, but they're also, they don't get the kill by death fodder and they don't get, you know, some other things. Now, I think maybe in hindsight, when people see the records now, it'll change. Because the weird thing about Teenage Head that I always find remarkable is that Frankie Venom was an incredibly like marketable, like the aesthetic he had in some of those records. It's like it's very striking. And yeah, there are people doing that of the era, but it's it's pretty. I, I don't know if "unique" is the right word, but definitely stands out. Oh, he's an incredible and, front person. Yeah, and so it's like it's it's bizarre. It's not more highly revered. When you think of like some of the front people of the era that do get a lot of, not to say that they're not great, but it's just, it's, it's always struck me as odd. You know what I mean? That it's really, anyway, sorry, go on. You're going to make a point. Well, I was just going to say like, you know, you're talking about the records not being necessarily the kill by death fodder. Like you can't get a copy right now on Discogs for, uh, less than 550 euros. Of the first single? Yeah. Yeah, well, okay. 450 bucks. Oh, two, 225. I mean, what I mean literally, though, is it's not, to my knowledge, none of that stuff is on any of those comps, right? Uh, no. Well, no, you're right. I don't think so. But there was that, like, very common bootleg of the first 7-inch that was floating around when yeah, yeah. you and me were kind of coming up 
mm-hmm. looking for that record. You'd be able to find sleeveless copies of it pretty reasonably priced, but I guess that is, you know, probably probably gone at this point from the look of from the look of uh, the resource at least. Yeah. What I what I mean by that though is unlike say the dogs or the yeah. Am I confusing to the dog which one has the I always get confused between the two dogs. It's the dogs and then there's the um Imperial Dogs. There we go. Imperial Dogs. And then there's one also the French the, dogs the, too. Yeah, oh yeah, you're right. With the hard too much harmonica dogs, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. the uh um but the is it Imperial Dogs has the, it's not the Summer of Love or is it the other one? I always forget. The Imperial Dogs is this ain't the Summer of Love. There we go. But, so that one like as killed by death fodder what i mean is there aren't a lot of other things like there is plenty of other teenage head things to reference right yeah big old records right yeah yeah so that's what i mean like it's not like they're not like yeah the first single is definitely like in today's parlance it actually is killed by death fodder but it's not in the sense that there's a variety of other material to to check out whereas some of these other groups there wasn't that's what i mean yeah, they're not like a one and done single yes. type band. Um, yeah, they had a an extensive career, and I think that's why right now this has become obviously such a such a news story. Um, is because it is it is you know one of the guitar heroes in this country, Gord Lewis, mm-hmm. that is gone now. Like I would put him up there with, you know, like like all these people that I kind of talked about. I'm not very good with classic rock. He's my guitar hero. He's like my Johnny Ramone. Yeah, uh, but of of like certainly like because I would you know if we're including the broad like the idea of like quote unquote like punk guitarists, however you want to categorize that. Not that that should be a distinction necessarily, but yeah, he's definitely like in the mix with any of the greats for me, like ability wise for sure. It's like he's like those records are great. He was always sick. Like there was no like he he just fits with that. Like there's no, there would be, there'd be no reason to exclude him from any of that conversation. And so, cause arguably like skill wise, obviously he's, he's superior to a lot of other punk luminaries because, you know, punk isn't necessarily necessarily the most skilled in the way of like uh virtuoso, let's say, but, um, but yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I, you know, part if as far as Canadian, punk guitar players yeah I, I he's like i don't know i can't i'm hard pressed to think of who's superior to be honest it's uh i want to find out who loud rock records was which is the name of the label that put out their last lp which never came out on vinyl but i wonder if that's going to get a reissue but this label put out nothing else but their one record so i always thought it was on a major label that record that came out in 96 Oh, the head disorder. Yeah, I thought you were referring to that the Sonic Onion releasing the Marky Moment. Yeah, um, yeah, it's weird, especially because '96. Well, I guess Sonic Onion wouldn't have been able to really, or would have been able to, but wouldn't have probably been doing that. That's a, so mentioning that. Just quick sidebar, head disorder aside. Sonic Onion also infamous Hamilton distribution label, all that. Um, the fact that they did a record with them is kind of indicative of how much of a Hamiltonian band they are as well, just as a sidebar. But um, and it's kind of cool. Uh, but head to sort, yeah, I don't know what this loud rock is. I is it was it just an imprint that maybe they made? I yeah, I don't know. It doesn't seem to have any other label listed 
with it, any other like major label distribution type thing. So maybe it's just their one-off imprint label. Yeah, because it's always like that era in Canada, especially, it's always, you know, a lot of weird stuff. Yeah, you're right. That's the only listing. There's no info. Yeah, I don't know. Very interesting. Yeah, they also put out records on Warped Records, which is another uh, famously Hamilton label. Put out Tom Wilson and the Florida Razors. Put out the Shakers, which, of course, featured Dave Rave, one-time Teenage Head member. Actually, I, I think he's actually currently was currently doing stuff with Teenage Head again in the last few years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they were, you know, a Hamilton band through and through. And like we said, uh, a, a real sort of working band. And it's a, a real tragedy, everything that's kind of happened with this band. And, you know, I, I just, not that this is going to make anything better, but I just felt like helping contextualize this band a little bit for people that didn't necessarily know of them. And, and just celebrating them and their music because uh, that's kind of, I think, given a lot of people solace in this time is just going back and retreating into their music. Um, so anyway, anyway, Chris, I don't mean to wrap up on you if there's anything else you want to add. No, no. Well, well said, my friend. Well said. All right, everyone. And, uh, you know, once again, uh, checking on the people you love and uh, I, I hope everyone stays safe out there.